CRM is the circulatory system of our marketing system. I mean, you couldn't rip it out. It's, it's so vital and critical because there are so many places for a customer to kind of get lost in the cycle. Hello and welcome to Good Data, Better Marketing, the ultimate guide to driving customer engagement. Today's episode features an interview with John Sheldon, Chief Marketing Officer at Smile Direct Club. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital-first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to enable personalized, consistent, real-time customer experiences by visiting segment.com. The beating heart of any marketing system is an exceptional CRM filled with rich customer data. In an industry like teeth straightening, it's critical to remove barriers, both physical and emotional, that customers may face and encourage them to continue on their path towards better teeth. Things like telling them exactly where the store is, where to park, or even addressing their concerns over how to use impression putty. Helping customers overcome these hurdles empowers them with the confidence to move forward in their journey towards straighter teeth. Chief Marketing Officer of Smile Direct Club, John Sheldon, is an expert in eliminating these barriers. A self-proclaimed truffle pig of customer data, John has over 30 years of experience in digital marketing, brand, and customer engagement. John, you have a storied career in tons of different marketing organizations, Ogilvy, MasterCard, eBay, just to name a few. I would love to learn about your career journey from your perspective. Tell me how you got to where you are today. Sure. I, I like to think about my career in, in three buckets. You know, first was really in a kind of consulting world, fresh out of school, but right at the dawn of the internet. And I'd been actually working on things connected to the internet since 1989 when I was interning for IBM and, and so kind of knew about GopherNet and this kind of stuff. And so when the commercial internet came available in 95, you know, I, I just wanted to be involved in it. I, you know, I didn't had no idea how obviously pervasive it was going to be, but I just wanted to be involved in, in that. And, and that led me into kind of doing consulting, really focused on digital transformations. And so a number of different you know, groups worked at you know, Oracle, a small boutique in Boston with some of the smartest people I've ever met called Dialogos. Founded my own company, which we launched and, and ran for five years to help people you know, with these digital transformations called Customer Portfolios, which is still up in Boston. It, it, you know, it was just a, a great time. So that's kind of bucket one. And I did that for you know, a good while. And then I, I made a transition to the agency side because I really, like I poked at the different ways of digital transformation in my time doing that consulting work. And the door that I loved going through the most was the marketing door. And so I really embraced that. And, and that's what Customer Portfolios was, was a, was a marketing services firm. And, and I loved that. But I actually wanted to broaden my understanding and knowledge of marketing. And so honestly, got this opportunity at Ogilvy that you mentioned. And Ogilvy is basically the teaching hospital of the advertising industry. And so I got to you know, bring what I knew, but also learn the stuff that they've been doing excellently for, for years. And, and so I worked at a couple of agencies you know, there. And then lastly, kind of going client side. and and. 
you know, did that with a transition at eBay where I was working for kind of an agency, if you will, but it was owned by a company called GSI, which got bought by eBay. And so eBay themselves became a you know, client firm for me and, and my team. They were the parent company, but also my client. So it was a little bit like a, a internal, but that was a, the beginning of really working inside of large organizations. And in between the work I did at you know, BBH, which was after Ogilvy and, and at eBay, really got to do a huge amount of, of you know, business launches, right? Ally Bank, the Google Chrome browser, things along those lines, but also really got deep into performance e-commerce, right? And so having done CRM, you know, earlier in my career and adding this performance marketing piece to it, all the while being surrounded by brand people, I was able to create a fairly well-rounded background so that when I left MasterCard, which was a little bit of a departure in my career, more focused on innovation itself, as opposed to the marketing, it made me like ripe for this D2C movement that was really, you know, happening. And so did some work with Fresh Direct, but then quickly the Smile Direct Club folks found me and, uh, you know, been here for the last uh, four and a half years. And it's it's been, a, it's been a really fun ride. That's awesome. You've seen a lot of different kind of parts of the business. And I, I love that, you know, digital transformation comes up on this show all the time. And it's so good to anchor yourself on the fact that we think it's this big mega trend that's happening right now currently, and certainly it is, but you started your career in it. So I think it's just interesting to kind of like note that it's it's here, it's been here, it's here to stay forever and for always digital transformation. And one of the things that I kind of picked up on is you leaning into performance and a little bit more of the digital side of marketing. And that's what you're doing a lot, as I understand it, at Smile Direct Club. And obviously, digital marketing has changed a whole lot over the course of the pandemic. And I also think that maybe there's this new paradigm shift that's happening right now as it relates to the state of the economy and everybody being really focused on return on ad spend is one of the big kind of question marks. So I'd love to learn from you in terms of what you think the biggest digital marketing differences are at Smile Direct Club pre-pandemic to today. I've always been a, a quant type of person. Yeah, I was a finance major. I was supposed to be an investment banker. I'm a, I'm a numbers person first. And so, you know, looking at the marketing world through that lens has frankly be benefited me a lot in the, over the last long, long period of time, actually. You know, when I look at digital marketing and what it's going through right now, I'm not sure I would talk about pre and post pandemic as much as I would talk about pre and post iOS 14.5, right? And you, to me, that's the marker of, of you know, when digital marketing started making really important transitions. In the pre-world, it was really straightforward, right? Facebook could find the exact person you want who wanted to do the exact thing that you wanted and put them right in front of you. And, you know, afterwards, it's like, we think it's somebody in this group, right? And it just became a very different thing. And it took, it forced marketers like, us at Smile Direct Club and, and others to, to really rethink the role of digital in the funnel. And we had to move it from you know, being really bottom of funnel, like, you know, convert now, buy now stuff to, to moving it up into that consideration level, which changes the creative, it changes, you know, your brand building and so on. And so for all the performance parts that I love in, in our business, actually, one of the stats I'm proudest of is, is, a, is a brand stat, right? Which is, you know, when I got to Smile Direct Club, the company had about 16% aided awareness in the US. And now that number is 61%, right? So we went from 
a somewhat obscure brand to we're rivaling, you know, the biggest brand in in the teeth straightening area, Invisalign, um, in our brand awareness now. And so to me, that's that's been an important effort. And some of that digital marketing work, that transition around 14.5 has helped us to do that some of that building. That's amazing. And and I we hear about that as well all the time. At Segment, obviously, we're really focused on first-party data. And so any of the different transitions that are happening with other government entities that are making people, you know, be a little bit more strict around their privacy. But then, of course, the big platforms changes happening with iOS and happening with Chrome, obviously, coming up. Those are going to change the ways that people... We'll see when Google um, finally marketing. gets that. I keep pushing it back. You know, it's like 2022, 2023, 2024 is where we're currently at. So we'll see what happens there want to learn a little bit more about some of the other trends that are maybe impacting cu- customer experience and customer engagement in your industry. What are you keeping on track of? Well, from, from our perspective, you know, Smaller Rock Club, as much as any company I've ever been in, involved in, completely obsessed with the customer experience. And you know, in my time here, and not be only because of me, because the whole company is is so focused on improving the customer experience. I mean, we've we've turned it over twice, and we're about to do it again. And that's one of the most exciting things that we're up to. And it's taking advantage of innovative new technologies, which are now being applied in our world that hadn't been previously. By way of example, we're changing our go-to-market strategy. We talked about this in our earnings call where today people buy a kit or schedule a scan and then it could be days or weeks before that gets completed and then days until they get their treatment plan. And by then they've kind of cooled off a little bit, right? And we're, we're moving to an environment where we now can use AI to let them use their phones, do a quick scan of their mouth and get a pretty good looking treatment plan that tells them, hey, this is how we're going to move your teeth. And we can do that all in two or three minutes. And so that shift of using AI to close the customer experience gap and answer the number one question people care about, what can it look like at the other side? So powerful. And we think that's going to transform the business. That's amazing. That AI application is something that I've never heard. And as it relates to telehealth, that is always been a question of mine is when it comes to physical doctor experiences, you know, you're going into the dentist, you're going into your primary care physician, the ability for them to assess, I've always had that trust be in person, but the ability to like map your teeth using AI is so cool. I love that you guys are pushing the pushing the boundaries of what customer experience looks like. Yeah, we still need to get that scan a little bit higher fidelity scan to be able to make aligners. So that's like 100 micron tolerance. But the stuff that we can do with the phone is, is amazing and, and tells you exactly where we're going to take your smile. Amazing. What are some new maybe customer behaviors that you've been noticing over the past couple of years that are starting to impact some of the strategies? Obviously, you know, people do want to be home a little bit more. That's one of them we just spoke about. That's certainly pandemic related. Um, are there any other consumer behaviors that y'all are tracking? Let's just talk about the one you mentioned. You know, when we started pre-pandemic, right, February of 2019, we had 350 stores, you know, shops where people would go in and get scans, and 90-ish percent of people began their journey in our shops. Pandemic shows up, we have to close all of them down. We're 99% are via the impression kits that we mail to people's homes. You know, as people got confidence in telehealth, you know, our business has come back. We've, we've opened about 150 shops back up, but actually about half of our business now is, is the kit being mailed to people's homes because people are much more confident in telehealth and so on. What I talk about a lot is just the consumerization of healthcare in general. And, you know, we sit right at the heart of that, where people are not waiting for 
doctors to tell them what drugs to use. They're coming to the doctor and say, I heard this could work. Can we talk about it? And solving for things that are important to them. You, you take a look at, at us, obviously, it's the same thing, right? While many of our customers talk to their dentists about a small rec club before they become customers, they're the ones bringing the conversation up to the dentist and, and, and so on. And so for me, that, that consumerization of healthcare, that empowerment of the consumer to, to really control the process and, and, and work it the way they want to work it is, uh, is a really important consumer behavior trend. That's amazing. We were talking about that with a leader at CVS Health the other week about how patients are really being empowered to drive better outcomes for themselves. And they're doing that through educational nudges. And so it's an amazing thing to see the different kind of portions of, of the healthcare industry that are that are taking in different directions and, and making sure that they are responding to that new kind of consumer behavior. And I heard that you like to watch some of the videos that are actually coming out of shops and retail shops that offer Smile Direct. What kind of insights are you gaining by actually watching customers interacting with your brand? Any specific examples of things that you might have picked up on or learned from that? Yeah, let me just start by saying we do that with the customer's permission to speak <laughs> Consent is here. Clear about that. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's no better way to, to get consumer perspective than to hear how they talk to our smile guides in, in the shops about how they hide their smile when they're laughing or they hate looking at themselves on Instagram or whatever it is, the thing that's, that's their emotional reason why they want to straighten their teeth. But also you get a lot of hearing a lot of the objections, right? Oh, I want to know about insurance or you know, does it hurt? And just being able to find out what are the things that are on their mind and how can we provide them with the confidence to move forward? And so, you know, hearing it from the, from the mouths of the customer, no, no better way to do that. You know, our leadership team and over 100 people in the company will hop on and we'll go through these videos that have been curated to help us and manifest itself in changes to what that journey looks like in shop or, hey, let's add something to a CRM piece that goes out before the person shows up so they, they already have that answer in, in hand. All of those elements really help us you know, make a better customer experience all the time. And, and I would say, you know, we continue to improve the customer experience dramatically as we listen to that customer. I love that oftentimes we think about data as kind of like the clickstream data or you think of it as just like really quantitative metrics. And, you know, obviously as somebody who started in the more finance side of things, like that's a part of the way that your brain is wired. But watching those are also giving you such robust data that's more qualitative. And one of the things that you said was, you know, it also kind of surfaces some of those things that might be a little bit harder, some of those challenges. So what are some of those challenges as it relates to the customer engagement journey? Well, again, I mentioned it before in, our, in terms of changing our go-to-market strategy is, is you know, c customer interest wanes over time, right? They have a moment where they're, where they're highly motivated, they come to the site and so on. I have a colleague named Blake who talks about nobody wants to eat a cold hot dog, right? As that hot dog gets colder, you know, fewer people want to want to take a bite. And, and so, you know, making sure that for adults and that we service mostly adults today, for adults, they've been living with the teeth in the way they are right now for a long time. And so our competition is really inertia right, is getting the person to go right now, to feel urgency to move. And so, you know, that's the stuff that we're trying to understand is what creates that urgency that gets a person over the hurdles of, of this process. Because, you know, listen, moving teeth isn't fun, right? It's 
uncomfortable at times, right? So how do you get a person to voluntarily sign up for that? You have to help them envision what life is going to be like on the other side. And that's, that's what we try to do with a lot of our marketing work and a lot of our communications. Any insights that you have there in terms of what are those motivators or those like, you know, connective devices that you've done like, oh, this equals that, that you've been able to find that like will move somebody to actually go? Well, I mean, about about 20% of our customers have an event in mind. I'm getting married. Yep. There's a family reunion. There's something, there's an event in mind. That makes sense. And that moves people. No, no question about it. The other elements that I think can uh, you know move people along? Obviously, sometimes promotionally, we, you know, we just put the right economics in front of them. You know, obviously, we're sixty percent less than Invisalign embraces, and so we lower that barrier in a really meaningful way. Just discovering that they have access to us. Sixty percent of the counties in the United States don't have an orthodontist in them. And we've actually sold aligners into 95% of those counties. And so we're just creating an access to care that didn't exist before. And helping educate people that that exists, that can often be the motivator. Something that they never had access is now available. There's lots of different things that can trigger a, a person to move. But just to keep going on that for a second, you know, one of the things you can do if you go to our website and look at the results page, right, you see hundreds of before and after photos from people who voluntarily provide them to us uh, because they're so excited. And, and you can see that that person is going through often a much bigger transformation than just tr straightening their teeth. And that's an honor for us to be a part of that in their lives, whether they're taking control of, of their weight or deciding to go to college or entering the dating field again after 15 years of marriage or whatever those things are. And you can see it manifests itself in, you know, new hair colors and dressing up and losing weight and all that stuff. You know, we're a transformation product, but we're part of somebody's much bigger transformation. And for me, those motivators really come from understanding, you know, where that person is in those journeys. That's an inspiring mission to be connected to. So I, I can appreciate the excitement that you kind of bring into all of your different campaigns. And what I'm hearing from just like a data perspective is there's so many of these things that you might be wanting to know about your customers to be able to help kind of influence them in their journey. So walk me through right now, how data in a few different ways, I'm sure there's many, many, but how is data influencing marketing at Smile Direct Club? Obviously, as, as big digital marketers, we're looking at data, you know, all the time. And obviously, it has to do with targeting, has to do with, you know, sending signals to the big engines to help them optimize against the things that we care about. And obviously, you know, downstream, it has to do with where do we go fix first to make sure our NPS scores continue to rise. Let's talk about NPS. What are some of the programs that you're running off the back of that? By way of example, we built out a orientation video. Um, it started actually as a call that we were doing, but nobody wants to pick up the phone anymore. And so what we do is we mail them a customized orientation video that takes them end to end through everything that's in the box and everything that we put in there to help them have a better experience. We talk about this often is the definitions around data and how you might define good data. Obviously, that's the name of the podcast, um, and everybody's defining it relatively differently, actually. So from your perspective, John, how do you define good data? It comes down to a couple things. Obviously, number one is what is the cleanliness of that data, right? Is it clean? Or are you making lots of inferences? The biggest danger you have is when you're starting to build models on models. 
right? And people do that an awful lot. And that's a pretty rough way to get to, to get to answers. But you know, for me, you know, we try to get a lot of really clear, clean, raw data that allows us to chew on it in the ways that that our analytics team, I and mean, we've got a great analytics team. I, I actually have a woman who worked with me at Fresh Direct is, is now heads up analytics at Smile Direct Club. And, and it's a really powerful team. And so what we really want to understand is how do we take a look at the, the the funnels, conversion funnels, and all your cost pers on that? That's what I wake up to and, and start looking at. And that's what the team looks at kind of every day. We have the series of, you know, whatever looker reports that we jump on for the first you know hour of the day. And it just says, this is what I got to go chase down today, right? And so the only way we can do that is with good, clean, well-understood, well-defined data. I fully hear you. Making sure that everybody understands all the definitions of what we're talking about so that everybody's on the same page with what mm -hmm. the data means, that they can actually action on it. So now that we have the definition of data and, and what good data means for you, how are you leveraging that to build some of your customer engagement tactics? It touches every part of our of our customer experience, right? So I talked about a little bit of the qualitative reviews of watching folks in the shop, et cetera, previously, but we also are very much looking at the quantitative views, right? Looking at each one of our funnels, you know, every step of that aligner process. And we're looking for places where people drop out and, and the reasons why. And we and we you know, have a really strong research team that we we go out and ask them, right? And say, you know, what what happened here? And, you know, we give them options and let them tell us the answers. And, and it's been very helpful for us, not only in continuing to improve the customer experience, but also new product ideas, new innovation ideas that help, you know, build on the business. So I'll, I'll give you one example. We are going to launch by the end of this year, a product that's really intended for more, I'll call it the traditional orthodontic customer, right? We opened up the market to people who didn't have access to that before. But higher household incomes and parents of teens, they have different needs. And, and we went out and, and just did the research and, and also looked at their behavior on our website, but did the research um, you know, with them and got that quantitative data said, what is different about that audience? What do they need to see from us? And so for them, they want to start in a local location and look somebody in the eye. Right. They want to look their, their dentist in the eye. And so we're building on our partner network to be able to create a kind of a higher service level model that starts with them looking somebody in the eye. That came from key research work that we had done. And, you know, obviously we're comparing doing overlays and comparing, you know, what percentage of our customers are teens today versus where we think they can be. And knowing, knowing there was a gap there, it's time to go chase that down and figure out, you know, how can we service them in the ways that they want. I always appreciate the mixed models of folks that both have digital and in-person experiences. And I'm fascinated by how people are bringing together all of that data into unified profiles to make sure that in every step of the way, whether they're online or they're in person, they're getting a really unified customer experience that's speaking directly to them. What are the ways that you're doing that at Smile Direct? How are you making sure that you are pairing together all of these different channels and sources of data coming from both qualitative and quantitative and feeding it into these audiences and making sure it is feeling really relevant and personal to your, your customers? First and foremost, first, every one of our customers basically begins their process with Smile Direct Club online today on our website. Eventually, it will be within the app as per our conversation previously, but but today, today on our website. And so there's no easier way to do that than just do it through straight 
doorway pages, landing pages that are tailored to the people that you're targeting in paid media, right? Or based on the keywords that they search in Google, et cetera. And so you're just putting them on, on targeted landing pages, like a parent of teen page or a teen page, or a, hey, I need to find out if my insurance will work for Smile Direct Club page, and just drop them right in the place that, that answers the question that got them to click. And so to be honest, that's the simplest way that we do it. And it's one of the most important. Value exchange, making sure that everything that you're saying to somebody is worthwhile for them to enter that email address that you can start to capture all of that rich customer data and be able to action on it. That's absolutely true. And and for us, CRM is the circulatory system of our marketing system. I mean, you couldn't rip it out. It's it's so vital and critical because there are so many places for a customer to kind of get lost in the cycle because because of things like you know, I don't know where the shop is, or I'm scared of putting the putty in in the tray or whatever for them is the barrier that they've created. We have to basically say, don't worry, the putty's not expired yet. Or, you know, the shop's right around the corner and there's parking next to Mel's Diner or whatever it is so that they have the confidence and comfortableness to continue to move down that experience. I love that. Who do you think is doing it right? in terms of customer engagement. Any people that you look to for inspiration? There's lots of interesting brands, some of which are, you know, also kind of grew up in our, our class that, that are having a little bit of trouble right now. Their customer experiences are really good. It's just, I think all of us are seeing some, you know, really interesting headwinds from the macroeconomic environment. But yeah, I'll tell you somebody I think is doing just a killer job from a you know branding perspective, a content perspective, and just building up their business is somebody like a Yeti, right? I mean, between the content content work that they're doing, the strength of their brand. I mean, anything you look at from them looks like them. They've done a wonderful job and they carry it through, right? They carry it through to their website. They carry it through through the e-commerce, even their, you know, their store on Amazon. All that stuff is, is, is really powerful. And I feel like for the past few years, it's no matter what swag, whoever, you know, whatever company you're going to get it from, one of the items is going to come from Yeti, no matter what. It's like guaranteed and everybody loves them. So yeah, they're they're definitely doing something right. Yeah, no, right. They, they, they've done a terrific job. And it's. And I think it's because it's clear what they stand for. The products are incredibly high quality and they've really been awesome about building out content about who who they want to represent as a brand. Yeah. Do you have an example of maybe a, your favorite data-based marketing campaign? You know, actually, I'm going to tell you a story from 20 years ago, 22 years ago now. I worked with an e-commerce company as a consultant called Outpost.com. And we were really working in the earliest days of of e-commerce, but we were capturing a ton of data through Broadvision, which was their web service at the time. And and we had a program we called the Chicken program. And it was literally like, you know, basically (laughs) if a person came back to the same product on their site a third time, we'd be like, okay, chicken, put it in your cart for 20% off. And and just, just, you know, you want to buy it. This is before people were comfortable with e-commerce, right? And so the whole point was just get them to put anything in the cart to to start to commit to the process of actually buying online because people hadn't done that previously. That's still my favorite. I think about that. I still think about that all the time. Now I'm talking to you 23 years later about that. It just did the right thing. It incentivized the right behavior from customers just based on their data, based on their behavior, you know, on the site. 
I love that because it's one of the most common campaigns ever now. Like Card Abandoner, every e-commerce company in the world has a flow that's set up that's for Card Abandoners. So like the fact yeah. that you are kind of in the, the very breaking moment of what that looks like and calling it the chicken campaign is absolute gold. Yeah, it's before, it's before you could do retargeting, you know, around the web. Yeah. There, you know, that wasn't a thing. And so, you know, we were just doing it on the site itself. But obviously, that's turned into a massive retargeting business for, you know, all the people that are doing that. Absolutely. What about any changes? So, you know, we talked about some of the trends that are happening right now. But what are some of the changes that you see on the horizon as it relates to customer engagement in the next six to 12 months? I think, you know, the privacy changes that are existing in Europe right now, the opt-in changes, all of that, that is going to continue to tighten. And so all the ways that you can gather first-party data about your site visitors, your customers, so you can, you know, really talk to them in the ways that they want to be talked to without having to ask somebody else for the data is going to really be one of the most important things that's 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 happening, you know, for, as a marketer over the next couple of years. I mean, I'll give you another one, which is the transition from linear television to, you know, CTV or OTT, whatever you want to call it. And and the ability to utilize, you know, the, the householding work that they do to, to try to figure out who's in who's in that house and who's watching this this TV spot that we just targeted. You know, hilariously, my, my daughter is an excellent Spanish speaker and and she um, keeps her phone in Spanish. Me too. And so, <laughs> you, do, you, do you really? That's amazing. It's for practice. It's for practice. But you know that's, what's really yeah, annoying for people is when you react to things on iOS, at least, if you're in with anybody that says, like, non-iOS device, then it reacts in Spanish. So it's like, Kaylee, Ladio, gracias. Uh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's very funny for people. What's funny about it for us is, you know, she's off at college, but Hulu is convinced there's a Spanish speaker in their house and keeps firing Spanish commercials at me, right? I'm like, I don't even know what they're saying, right? It's figuring that stuff out. As the privacy news gets tighter, it's going to be even harder for, for folks to figure it out. And, and funny, weird things like that are going to happen more and more often. And, you know, it's going to have some interesting effects on, on things like CTV or, or digital advertising in general. I like that you called out what you're not you're not saying it explicitly, but the what you're describing is the tension between privacy and personalization and, you know, really what marketers are going to be able to do in the future. But you already labeled a solution, I think, which is first party data and making sure that you are collecting as much of that really rich data stream as humanly possible and making sure you're providing value to those people through entering your website, entering your app, making sure that, you know, you're consenting the entire way through. So being able to have control of that information and then feeding that out into other channels is, I think, certainly the future. And if people are not already doing that, then they're probably already behind, not even six to 12 months ahead, you know? So, so I would say it this way. The best thing a digital performance marketer can do is build their brand. A lot of times performance marketers say, I don't need that brand stuff. I can I can do that hard targeting, all that stuff. In, in today's world, that's going to be too hard unless you're like Yeti and you build that brand. And you, I'm a big believer in you know how brands are built, the Byron Sharp stuff. Unless you're building up that level to your brand, people aren't going to know to find you and they're not going to know to look for you. And you're going to have a hard time finding them too because you're not going to have that first party data we just talked about. And so in today's world, the best thing you can do as a performance marketer is build your brand. I love that you're saying that. And this actually kind of reminds me of like post, you know, 2008 financial crisis. I feel like all these startups kind of came about and in, in the marketing world at the very least, I feel like everybody was leaning into community strategies, community led growth. Those were like the big things that people were talking about. And really that's a 
big brand exercise. And a lot of it, you weren't able to kind of calculate the the performance of it. It was way squishier than that. And I think we're heading in that direction again. And what you just said, I think, is like an example of exactly that trend moving in this direction once more. So my last question for you, John, what are some of the steps or recommendations that you might have for somebody that's looking to up-level their customer engagement strategies? One, find every way possible to listen to your customer, whether it's listening to an hour of customer service calls, you know, watching people in your shops, surveying them, you know, extensively, listen to your customer. And they'll tell you what they need and what they want and what their hangups are and, and why they didn't go with you today. And so to me, you know, that's that's number one. Number two, build your brand, right? For all the reasons we talked about. Be consistent, have iconography, follow the you know, Byron Sharp methodology, right? Where he says, you have to be physically present and mentally present for your customer. And so, you know, we work really hard to do that with our with our marketing strategies. And then number three is hone, hone your customer journeys, your funnels, right? Look at all the places that people are falling out and not behaving the way you want to. You're doing something with a word, with a design element. You're raising barriers all through your experience. And so you have to do the test and learn thing, right? You know, we use Optimizely. You can use whatever you need. In CRM, we use a different tool. And, and you just go through and you have to test and learn. What removes the barrier 2%? You, you do five things where you improve by 1%. Now you're talking about really impacting the business. And so from my perspective, it's just really, you know, testing and learning your way to a much smoother customer experience. I love that. Incremental progress, listening to your customer and making sure you have a unified brand experience. Definitely wise words. John, thank you so much. This has been super insightful. I learned a lot today. Oh, great. Thanks, Kaylee. Appreciate your time. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Segment's leading customer data platform empowers every team with good data. From marketing and product to engineering and analytics, Segment unifies data silos into a single view of the customer. It allows teams to make data-driven decisions and personalize customer engagement in real time, all with one single platform to collect and manage your data. Curious to find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to be their data foundation? You can learn more by visiting segment.com.